Hi there, and welcome to a yet another edition of DorkFest, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this time around. A super exciting episode on tap for you. Part three of our DorkFest, the podcast movie madness tournament, the culmination of our trilogy in which we will take 64 of our most beloved DorkFest films and whittle them down to the ultimate one film to rule them all. We hope that you've enjoyed our first two episodes, our selection show, and then getting the field from 64 films down to 16. And this will be the culminating event where we will crown that one true Dorkfest movie champion. Thank you so much once again for joining us. We hope that you've been following our little podcast for going on just north of a year now. Hard to believe. Dorkfest, the podcast, has just surpassed its first birthday. Thank you so much for your support. We strongly encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you enjoy your podcasts, be it Apple, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. And we strongly encourage you to connect with us on Instagram as well. We can be found there at dorkfest underscore podcast. I am Dan Freemuth, your host for this particular outing, the host for all three parts of the Dorkfest, the podcast, Movie Madness Tournament, but with me each and every step of the way, the three dorks, they are back once again. We can't have part three without the three dorks. So let's introduce them. They're all standing by at the ready. First and foremost, we're going youngest to oldest this time around. Gabo, what is new, my friend? I'm greatly excited to be here and see this through, although, boy, I, I almost fear what uh, what film to rule will <laughs> come out of this. And I don't know into what dorky abyss we'll have to cast it back in order to try and do this again someday, get it right, if we don't get it right this time. But uh, you know, it's not who I am inside. It's the dorky choices I make that define me. In my opinion, there's little to no doubt that we will somehow get it wrong. I mean, let's be honest, we had Moonraker oh. in the field to begin with. So I, I would say that was wrong right from the get-go. But Gabe, always a pleasure to have you along for the ride. Next, but certainly not least, Jordan. Jordan, what is new? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. We are recording this one a, a little bit later than usual so hopefully all the dorks will stay awake um but if not I'll, I'll i'll be ready to pull them along like henry jones at the end of last crusade with a so with a so near the end now this coming from the guy who notoriously fell asleep in the midst of an actual dork fest when he genuinely had a chance to win so that's a, a curious little notion there from jordan it's just a little cat nap. Okay, yeah, <laughs> sure. All right, so Jordan is here. Gabe is here. Two cousins, one destiny. And last but certainly not least, Josh is also along for the ride. Josh, what outstanding Dorkfest film quip do you have for us this time around? I'm just happy that um, the, the listeners are treated to another round of this uh Rather disappointing podcast host. <laughs> yep, not at all. Um, so not only a Dorkfest quip, but also a shot at me. Well, what's wrong with him? A near 40-year-old fiend indifferently blended with an overdose of bon bois. You know, I think Dan is moderating this podcast, Josh. I'll, I'll collect my, uh, my, my equipment from Q Branch in the morning. Boy, so not only, not only was there a Dorkfest film 
quip at the ready. It was coordinated with support and also a shot at me as well. That that's the grand slam right there. Operation Grand Slam. If you <laughs> well said. I wouldn't call that uh, orchestrated. It's uh, kind of all just a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. <laughs> All right, well, we are off to an absolutely brilliant start. This bodes extremely well for the rest of this podcast. So, folks, as we mentioned earlier, this is the culmination of our Dorkfest, the podcast, Movie Madness Tournament. We started with 64 films. Our most recent episode got it down to the Sweet 16. But tonight, right here and right now, we are going to determine the one film to rule them all. We will be voting live yeah we're recording but it's live for us so we're gonna call it live to eventually get the one dork fest the podcast movie madness tournament champion now here's how it's going to work round from the sweet 16 to the elite eight we'll be voting among the traditional six dorks who have voted all the way through to this point we will get live votes from the four dorks on the podcast right now the dad votes the two of each of those have already been collected. I have them. I know what they are, but the other dorks don't. So it will be the six-man Dorkfest contingent that will be voting from the Sweet 16 down to the Elite Eight. Or from eight down to one, it's just us, gentlemen. Just the four dorks here. However, the fathers will potentially be leaving their fingerprints on the end result of this one. Because we can't have them live with us for the podcast, we thought it only appropriate to give them some sort of way to influence at least part of the ultimate decision. So with that, in addition to their Sweet 16 votes, the two dads have also supplied, myself only knowing this, the other dorks are unaware of these selections, each of the dads were given three films that they were able to apply double O status to. What this means is that if we encounter a tie, we've got six votes from Sweet 16, eight and beyond, we've got four, definitely the potential for ties. And if we encounter ties, the initial tiebreaker will be if a film was granted double O status by one of the two dads. It's the silver bullet. It's 007 and his Walter PPK with one shot eliminating the opposition. Now, if there's a tie and there is no 00 status movie, well, there are no ties in Dorkfest. So somebody's got to change their mind. In other words, somebody's mind must be changed by the opposition. We've used the dice roll in the past to determine outcomes. We threw that idea around and ultimately we decided, no, there are no ties in Dorkfest. It's a fight to the death, on wounds and lirpas aside, this will be fought with words and with emotions and with no doubt, probably just a smidge of intensity as well. So we're going to get from 16 films down to one. We thank you so much for joining us for this particular venture. We are going to forego with our traditional one, two, and three-point format. We are just going to dive right in. But before that, we can't get started without a warm-up question. And so this time around, our warm-up question, it's going to relate to those films not part of the Sweet 16 and this evening's conversation. Gentlemen, I put to you, of the 48 eliminated movies, what's a five-minute clip from one of those films that you would choose to show the group to shame them for eliminating that particular movie? That's the warm-up question this time around. And Josh, we begin with you. 
Thanks, Dan. I'm happy to kick off this uh, the in memoriam tribute to, to these fallen flicks. And I'm going to go with uh, this. I'm following a familiar pattern again. Um, I really gave Dan the business in the introduction, but now I'm going to give him some credit. Uh, when I was probably about 13 or 14 years old, dad was trying to show us a lot of different movies. One of those was The Sting. And Dan watched this movie with dad before I did. And I was convinced that it was just another fuddy-duddy flick. He showed me the five-minute clip of the poker game on the train which is just a fantastic little scene from start to finish, of course, beginning with Henry Gondorf explaining why he's late um, and culminating in uh, the, the two gamblers trying to cheat better than the other, four nines versus four jacks, a brilliant scene. That's the five-minute clip I would choose. That's a tremendous pick, Josh. And it was, I wrote down five potential options as answers to this question, and that was the second one that I wrote down. Uh, that, that's it's a classic scene and it beautifully summarizes that movie and i mean we know what a big fan you are of mr henry gondorf so that's a, a perfect selection for you all right josh checks in with a big time heavyweight from the sting that was a number eight seeded movie uh, out of his own region the fleck region very appropriate there for henry henry gondorf uh, eliminated in the round of 32 at the hands of top seeded goldfinger Gabe, which direction do you go for your five-minute clip? Much as uh, Seaman Jones says that the SAP software on the Red October sort of runs home to mama when it's not sure what else to do, it's basic programming, as it were, I'm going to do the same thing, which is not at all a seed to plant for perhaps you know, a potential tie-breaking thought later in the uh, proceedings here. But um, I'm picking, perhaps unsurprisingly, scene from the two towers and it is sam's speech at the end of the film uh i think it's there are always times in which this speech can be relevant but it feels pretty darn good to hear and, and have that reassurance right there it's um it's a it's a great example i think of how this movie gets so right the works it's adapting um it's not a word for word speech from the book but it's pretty close in spots it's sort of adapted from a larger page and sean Astin nails it and the through so dark a film to have this fleeting moment of yes yeah, sun through the clouds literally in, in gandalf's case as he charges helms deep with amir and the rohirrim and as treebeard and the rest of the orcs just sack or and as sam and frodo narrowly escape osgiliath um and sway faramir's heart so he doesn't bring the denethor at the same time um it, it's heartbreaking it gets me every time folk in those stories had every chance of turning back only they didn't and we are going to push through and see this to the end but that's my scene sam's speech from the end of the two towers that was one of the ones i was considering also sam wise the brave when the sun shines it'll shine out the clearer Woo. absolutely it's getting heavy doc Hills, even now even now and the howard shore score that goes along with it is it just Im immensely poignant for that moment that is a tr tremendous selection there, Gabe, on the heels of a tremendous selection by Josh. I am going to go, I'm going to go with a clip from a front runner movie that I cannot believe is not part of our conversation this evening. 
just give me the very beginning of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. I'm talking about a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away to that shadow of the Star Destroyer coming across the screen. All I want is until Darth Vader shows up. And the only reason I want that is because it's the beginning of a movie that effectively created, I'm not even going to say altered our Dorkfest destinies. It arguably gave birth to our Dorkfest destinies. To not have that movie included in our Sweet 16 conversation, I think is just absolutely criminal. And so I'm putting on the start of a new hope so that everyone who voted for Rogue One, for shame, gentlemen, for shame. That's my selection. Jordy, where do you go? Well, as is typically my routine, there are many directions that I could go. Dan, you mentioned earlier that there were five different um, scenes that you had listed. There were nine that I listed. I am not going to go through um, even a third of them. Um, I, I, I might mention a couple just as I'm deliberating right now. Um, another front runner movie uh, that I'm a little bit surprised hasn't got, didn't get as far. Um, and this I think has a lot to do with another film that's in that same reason is, or region is Jurassic Park. Just great, just great general film. Um, the, the scene that I would select from there, and this is the scene that I'm going to go with. I am going to break my typical trend of listing several different options and I'm just going to go with the one. Um, and it's the, it's the T-Rex scene. It's the T-Rex scene right after power goes out um and you just have like the moment in which that film really becomes the monster movie um and and that's a that's a specific scene where you know i remember watching that as as a wee lad um and and being terrified as you should be um and again you got great music going along with that um but yeah that that t-rex scene from jurassic park and again you know kind of going back to the crux of the question dan you know this is a you know it's the scene that kind of indicates that this film should still be in the running um and i think that scene from jurassic park does that Personally, I would have taken the Brachiosaurus slash Welcome to Jurassic Park scene. That was the one that I had written down for that movie. But that would have been option B. And yes, you're right. For Jurassic Park not to be here, I think is, is criminal. But it does really speak volumes about the films that we will be talking about. So thank you, gentlemen, for warming up with us and sort of giving a a slight homage to a quartet of those 48 abandoned, relegated flicks that we just no longer care about. Because now we're moving forward with the Sweet 16. Let the voting commence. We are going to start in the Binky region. The four films left there are the top four seeds. The way this is going to work, we're all on a Zoom call here, so it's real easy. If you are voting for the higher seed, and thus the lower number. I know non-sports fans, it's confusing. If you're voting for the higher seed, gentlemen, raise your hand. If you're voting for the lower seed, do nothing. I will tabulate and we'll let everybody know what the results are. And then once the results are in, then we can kind of banter about how everything went down. So the initial matchup, or the two matchups, I'll give you them both and then we'll break them down. Top-seeded Empire Strikes Back facing off against fourth-seeded Dr. No. The second matchup is second-seeded The Hunt for Red October against third-seeded Raiders of the Lost Ark. Gentlemen, let's put it to a vote. Empire Strikes Back 
or Dr. No. It is a clean sweep of the four dorks on the call. All four votes going to the Empire Strikes Back. Thank goodness it was a clean sweep because that does give us an outcome in this matchup. Both dads voted for Dr. No, so it ends up being a 4-2 to two final score advancement by Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, and the number one seed in the Binky region does hold into the Elite Eight. The second matchup, second-seeded Hunt for Red October, third-seeded Raiders of the Lost Ark. Gentlemen, cast your votes. Two votes for the Hunt for Red October and two votes for Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it's a split between the four dorks on the call. But we do get a result thanks to the Papa votes, both of which were cast for the Hunt for Red October. So second seeded Red October does advance. The seedings hold up. It's a four to two victory for Marco Ramius and company as they advance to face the Empire Strikes Back. Let's start with that most recent matchup because we were split here. So the Hunt for Red October guys, Josh, Jordan, you both voted Hunt. Why did you have to make that selection? It was it was a trying one against Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, this was the one from the very start of this whole thing that I thought was going to be maybe the hardest for me personally. And I really have to give Jordan a bunch of credit because in the first podcast of in this trilogy, he said in making the argument against the strength of the Binky region that, you know, maybe as it gets going further along, someone will vote against Raiders of the Lost Ark because they think, ah, I've still got Last Crusade I can vote on later. And that really ended up being the tiebreaker for me. I love both of these movies so freaking much. And I, I could not really split between them. And so the tiebreaker for me ended up being that, well, I like Last Crusade better than Raiders of the Lost Ark right now. Tomorrow that could I can answer that question differently, but right now that's the way I feel. And so I'm going to give a little more weight towards Hunt for Red October because I can cast a vote for Last Crusade later on. A, a, a cheap answer perhaps, but that's honestly what it came down to for me. That's how close these two were. Josh is basing his Dorkfest determinations off of the Binky input. We're really in the upside down right now. It could be foolish. Uh, but I mean, not surprisingly, Josh, I agree with you, though. I will say I was surprised to see you vote, vote for Hunt, just thinking through this and thinking through the voting contingent. I thought that your vote was going to be for Raiders. But, you know, to echo a lot of things that you just said, you know, I think, you know, when we're thinking about selecting each of these films, for me, I've really been trying to keep in mind that we're not necessarily looking at the best film, like which of the two is the best film. So I think when you look at it that way, Hunt's a really, really fun film. It's a, it's a good film. I feel like Rangers is probably the better film, but in terms of like sitting down the four of us watching a movie, um, I mean, Hunt for an October is a ton of fun. And part of the thing, and I'm, I'll bring this up a couple of times with some other films as well. Um, the, the quotability of a movie, I think is really, really key. And Hunt for an October, both for humorous moments, but also for some serious moments too. That movie is just eminently quotable. And I'm yeah. glad that it advances into the elite eight. 
the one quote that I kept coming back to that put a smile on my face is the is Richard Jordan's from Greenland to Iceland to Scotland without getting his feet wet. So shall we dispense with, with the, the bull? bull? Yeah. The, see, see, I think Jordan, I kind of went the other way. I thought Raiders is a more fun movie. Hunt is a little more serious movie, a little more suspenseful movie. But oh, that movie's just so freaking cool. And Connery is, oh, he's just got his chest out the whole time. Oh, he's so great. Abo, just real quick, your thoughts on why you went Raiders and, and, and the disappointment to see it, it go in the Sweet 16. Um, I got to say, I don't know if I could really call it disappointment when a film like The Hunt for Red October gets to succeed on its own merits, frankly. I, I, I was as, well, not as torn as Josh. I can't be that presumptuous, but I was quite torn over this decision myself. Um, and through to even about maybe half an hour ago, as of this moment, was not sure which way I was going to go. But at the end of the day, um, I sort of, uh, you know, Sean Connery is, um, his, his performance legacy is beloved among us here. And uh, Red October was one of two films where that's sort of like my OG Sean Connery movie. I, I was introduced to old Sean before I was introduced to Bond Sean. Uh, I'm certain that was intentional on the part of my mother. Thanks, Ma. But all that to say, yeah, with Last Crusade out there, there is not only the chance for another indie film, but there's the chance for another Sean film. Um, and I'm, I'm clearly going to be, maybe spoiler alert, but I think I'm leaning Spielberg heavy tonight. I think Raiders is just an undeniable film. And Red October is, uh, it's not fair to say that it's less, but it's, uh, you know, we don't get too many cool submarine movies, but Raiders, I think, is a cultural icon. And it's really tough to beat just how good that movie is. Um, despite, you know, its age. It's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. Yeah, I mean, look, it's no shame that Raiders of the Lost Ark loses to a higher seed and a huge, dorky, favorite kind of movie like Hunt for October. But I'm still sad to see Raiders go. I mean, if Raiders had been eliminated, let's say in the prior round, and we pose that warm-up question again, that opening scene of Raiders has to be one of those for shame kind of clips. I mean, this movie is so iconic. And yes, I agree with the thought that, oh, okay, it's okay. You know, we, we can hedge because we're going to still have Last Crusade. But Last Crusade only exists because Raiders was so darn good. There's something to be said for the original. And to not have it in there, I, I, you know, it, it's disappointing. I, I, I voted Raiders because that's, the preferred movie for me, but like I said, no shame in, in falling to Marco Ramius and company. I, I do want to quickly get some thoughts about the one four matchup. I mean, clearly no surprise to the four of us that the empire strikes back gets through. We all voted for it, but the final score ends up making it look a little closer than I think maybe we thought that matchup might be empire gets through four two. the dads both voted Dr. No, and maybe when that movie came out in 1962, it was more meaningful to them, similar to a 1980 film, Empire Strikes Back, is to us. But uh, I guess just quickly thoughts on, on Empire surviving and advancing, but a little tight there. I think this is the closest matchup that Empire has had to this point, right? I mean, it's, it's done pretty well for itself through now. So yeah, 42 definitely feels close at this stage. But um, I have to register some slight surprise, too, because I... Uh, I know my dad was sort of waxing nostalgic for some of the early bonds there at the end, but I more or less thought he was off bond, even in the face of uh, 
something that maybe is has lost some luster for him, like Empire, which, of course, is the best that the Star Wars has to offer, at least so far. We may yet decide differently tonight. Yeah, I think, Gabe and Dan, you, you're, you're hitting on it, that the, the results here, I think, are a product of nostalgia. And when you're looking back on the, the, the films that maybe you didn't necessarily grow up on, but just films that you've returned to year after year after year, for us, that's Empire Strikes Back. And, and in terms of franchises, for us, that's the Star Wars franchise. Now, Gabe, you know, you've talked about how your dad has moved away from the James Bond franchise. Our dad has definitely been doing that, too. But, you know, that, that pull of nostalgia is a strong one. And I think ultimately we saw that here. Like you said, Gabe, ever so slowly, it's getting closer and closer for Empire. It started off with the 6-0 sweep um, and then 5-1. In, in the next round, and now all of a sudden we're 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 looking at the four two matchup. So it's it's getting close. I, I think it's as simple as uh, Dan's original hose job on Doctor No in the seating and placement in the first place. Doctor No is better than a four seed. Should have been seeded higher. Shouldn't have had to go up against this juggernaut so early. Um, but, you know, as as we said in, in the first podcast, if it was that good, then it would have been able to overcome. Uh, clearly, it wasn't. You know, I think this is a circumstance where, you know, you, you, you have a team where, you know, you know, every year you get a team out in the Sweet 16 in the basketball tournament that, you know, you at the beginning of the thing, you thought, wow, you know, I thought they could have gone all the way and they only made it to the Sweet 16. And that doesn't sound all that good. But, you know, the, there's only so many movies that, that can get this far. Um, so no shame for, for Dr. No. I think it got hosed a little bit uh, in the seating, and I think that's why it's out so early. Ah, that feels a little better. Josh gave me some nice accolades there in the, in the early portion of the voting after shots fired in the warm-up, and now we're back into the, back into the comfy, cushy zone of, of burying the moderator. As it yeah, should I, be. I, I always bury the moderator in the bottom half of the hour. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, at least, Don't at least we, step. We, we could set our watches to that then because we know you got the, the timer working. So, all right. So in the Binky region, Empire and Hunt for Red October both advance into the Elite Eight. It's time to cast some more votes and get some more films that will face off on that left side of the bracket. So let's move into the Daniel region where it's also chalk there. These are the only two top, uh, the only two regions in which the top four seeds all advance into the sweet 16. So it's Indiana Jones and the last crusade, Star Trek six, the undiscovered country from Russia with love and back to the future though. That's one through four seeding. The matchups obviously pit one against four, two against three. So the first matchup I need you to vote on, gentlemen, top-seeded Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade against fourth-seeded Back to the Future. Cast your votes. And to the surprise of absolutely no one, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade does advance with a five-to-one victory over Back to the Future I will cop to being the only guy that voted for poor Marty McFly. And, and I'll be perfectly blunt. The only reason that I did is just so that the poor guy would get a vote. Cause I, I suspected that was going to be a sweep all the way. The two dads unsurprisingly both cast their votes for Indiana Jones and the last crusade. So that's a five, one win for Indy and Henry Jones advancing. So you guys, those who voted for hunt for October and you hedged, 
on Last Crusade. You get your wish. That's going into the Elite Eight. Now, who will face Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? The 2-3 matchup between Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and third seeded from Russia with Love. Gentlemen, cast your votes. Four votes from the dorks live for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And, gentlemen, this is huge. All four votes here going for Star Trek VI, negating the two votes from the dads that went from Russia with Love. And on top of that, it's worth noting that from Russia with Love is now out. Both dads assigned double O status to from Russia with Love. Double O status is no good if the votes trump. And that's what happened. So Star Trek VI, by way of four votes right here, right now, eliminates from Russia with Love and kiboshes a pair of double O statuses from the dads. We have to start there. Gabe, you have been championing for this movie from the very beginning. Tell us how you're feeling right now. Right now, I am really worried about the next fight, frankly. However, to this point right here, this feels great. I, I, I thought, too, From Russia With Love was going to put up a heck of a fight. Um, there's so many classic sequences in that film. It's got the great, like, secondary Bond theme and that 007 theme, which has always been a, a secret favorite of mine. Um, Bond taking the lector, it's that sequence. That's really good. The train fight is an all-timer. The helicopter fight is great. Um, it just, you know, it's from Russia With Love. It's, it's probably the most espionage of most of the Bond films, uh, and I think thusly one of the most enjoyable. That said... Um, boy, it's a good thing that four dorks beat what is effectively quadruple O status because we needed it, and that's a lot of O's to overcome. But uh, now we got a W for Star Trek VI. Target that explosion and fire. I feel like I need to apologize to our fathers. You guys may have been able to tell by my facial expressions uh, that this was a hold my nose pick. I, I, I really wanted to pick from Russia with love, but I just, in my head, when putting the two movies next to each other, came up with more things wrong with from Russia with love than with Star Trek six. We, we did the commissioner's collection podcast again about Star Trek six. It's a near flawless movie. It's tremendous every which way you look at it. And there are some nitpicks that you can come at from Russia with love, uh, you know, reasonable criticisms and you know we mentioned a few of those in our, in our bad bond movie podcast and you know none of them are so egregious that i won't jump at the chance to watch from russia with love but when you put it up against the near perfection that is star trek six i just couldn't do it <sighs> target that explosion indeed captain sulu bless you I'm sorry for Russia with love. You're breaking up. <laughs> As you were naming all those great scenes from, from Russia with love game, it was, it was like a dagger each yeah. time. Like, Oh, 007 steals the lector. Oh, the train fight. Like, Oh no. Where the there's smoke, fight. there's fire. Oh, that's such a good movie. I'm so sad to see it go. But sorry, dads. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But you just, you, you can't get past Jim Kirk.
No, I mean, <laughs> the, the guy, he, he saved the galaxy more times than we can remember. And he has once again saved Dorkfest the Podcast. He's done his bit for King and Country. You should have trusted him, Dads. He's not finished yet. <laughs> that crew has literally saved this planet. And you know what? They're going to save it again by standing trial against the Last Crusade. So that very nicely, Gabe, sets up the other half here in the next next matchup. Um, Sweet 16, I mean, Last Crusade against Back to the Future, was that the most lopsided? If we were setting the odds in Vegas, I mean, was Last Crusade the biggest favorite here in the Sweet 16? I mean, Back to the Future, it's a Desert Island top five movie for me, but I mean, realistically speaking, it never stood a chance, did it? Yeah, this was one of the movies where, like, the, the the notes that I wrote down specifically for this matchup was just that this was a really really tough draw for Back to the Future. It, it like it, it there there were really zero paths to victory for it, despite what an enjoyable film it is. Dan, I'm glad that you gave it one vote. That's definitely not surprising. You know, in terms of like putting odds in at Vegas, um, you know, <laughs> you voting for Back to the Future, those are pretty safe odds. Uh, Back to the Future making it through this matchup, not not very likely at all. I think there's another Trek versus Bond coming up that I think is a is a would be a, a favorite on the same level, but. Um, yeah, I think it's similar, but maybe less lops, a little less lopsided. But yeah, this this was one of the quicker decisions for me. Agreed. Yeah, and I think that's completely fair. I mean, there are a number of these movies that we've talked about throughout the course of this exercise that are favorites for some of us, but not all of us. Um, you know, I mean, Josh lost his beloved, you know, Ghostbusters right from the very beginning. And and we know that a movie like The Man Who Would Be King has some fans among this collective, but but not everyone. Um, and, and that's that's bound to happen. I was thrilled to bits to see Marty McFly and Dr. Emmett Brown and Einstein make it as far as they did. And I think, uh, you know, like we talked about in the first round or the, the first region, no shame in Raiders falling to Hunt for October no shame in in the DeLorean succumbing to Indy on horseback with a rock in his hand. Dan, is Back to the Future a top five movie for you? Yes, without question. Yes, okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I thought so. And Ghostbusters, you're right, Ghostbusters is on a similar plane for me. Yeah, so, it, but, you know. right. And and I, I didn't feel bad giving it a vote because I kind of knew what was going to happen. It wasn't like, oh my God, three other guys voted for Back to the Future and I've completely screwed the bracket. Didn't think that was going to happen. It didn't. And Indiana Jones and Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, are now on a path into the Elite Eight. Let's shift over, gentlemen, to the Fleck region and get a couple of more teams, a couple of more movies, I should say, into the Elite Eight. Let's, be, uh, let's first note the four movies that are there in seeding order. Number one, Goldfinger. Number three, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Number four, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. And seventh seeded, the lowest remaining seed, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. The first matchup that we will be voting on, top-seeded Goldfinger against fourth-seeded Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Gentlemen, cast your votes. 
All right, so we've got an even split here on the call. Two votes, Goldfinger, two vo votes, Voyage Home. Josh and Gabe both voting Goldfinger. Myself and Jordan both pulling for George and Gracie. The dad votes are already in. You guys aren't surprised. They both voted for 1964's Goldfinger, which means the top seed does advance by way of a 4-2 to two victory there. Goldfinger ousting ooh, Jim Kirk. We just saw him save, the, save planet Earth, but he can't. You can't save uh, Project Operation Grand Slam because Goldfinger is moving on to the Elite Eight. Now, who will Bond face in that next round? That boils down to the 3-7 matchup. Third-seeded Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring against seventh-seeded Rogue One. Gentlemen, cast your votes. Four votes live for Bilbo, nope, that's the other one. Frodo Baggins. I always get those goofballs mixed up. He did it again. Yeah. Yeah. It always happens. The important thing is that I can do math, and I don't even need to take my shoes and socks off to add it all up. Four votes on the call automatically propels Fellowship of the Ring. The dad votes were split on this front, unsurprisingly. Gabe's dad did vote Fellowship of the Ring, and there is one lone albatross vote for Rogue One, a Star Wars story, but ultimately it means that Fellowship does advance, so we will have a 1-3 showdown in the Elite Eight of Goldfinger against Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Gabe, I'm not sure you had Fellowship getting past like the round of 32 we're down to eight movies and the hobbits are still standing. Can you believe it? And yet to have come so far, still bearing the ring, the hobbits have shown extraordinary resilience to this bracket. Yes. All day. Did not think they would get much past, uh, yeah, the first couple rounds. And yet here at the end, boy, they're almost picking up steam. Uh, it's hard to, it's hard to take down that fellowship. You know, um, I, right now I'm hearing that, theme in my head is the camera soars around the mountaintops as they're hiking around on just on the first leg of their journey this is the good part of the movie going up against goldfinger well that might be something else but for right now uh not facing the balrog that is art goldfinger they're uh they're good to go to keep trekking uh and i'm very happy to see them still still doing so and uh very happy too that uh my dad gave this one its vote this time and Roy, really too bad for Rogue One. Kind of hugely unstoppable in its way here. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe for taking out A New Hope, it deserved to go down. It, you know, it's that ending, right? We just saw the Death Star uh, light speed into view on the horizon on Scarif. And uh, now it's all over. Really nice run for Rogue One. But uh, it deserved to, to have its run ended here. Yeah, Fellowship is great and all, but for me, this was all about you shall not pass, Rogue One. How dare you take out a new hope? And how dare all of you who voted for Rogue One take out new hope? There was no way that Rogue One could advance any further. Fellowship beats it on the merits, but even if it didn't, it was time to get Rogue One out of here. Shifting back to the prior matchup, Fellowship now facing Goldfinger, 
anyone surprised? Because I am. So, uh, spoiler alert: at least one person. Anyone surprised at sort of how easily Star Trek for the Voyage Home was dismissed? Jordy, I, I want to go to you because this was this was your pick in the last pod. You thought, in fact, you won the podcast because of this pick. Who you got now? You didn't take any front runner chalk. You said, no, no, no. George and Gracie, Bond films aren't getting a lot of love. That's a four over a one. And then who the heck knows what's going to happen? Fellowship against Rogue One. You thought Voyage Home could go all the way. I was behind that pick. I, I voted there with you. You and I are, are well, Jordy and Gracie here. What happened to Voyage Home? It's those darn Klingon crystals. They just couldn't put up a, a good enough fight against uh, Goldfinger and, and Sean. But uh, no, Dan, you're absolutely right. And and to my credit, I, I think I did project that this was going to happen after I made the selection for Voyage Home. You know, it's it's well documented that, that I am not particularly good at Dorkfest, the trivia or the podcast. So any pick that I make, will typically, you know, dissolve in my hands. Um, So in that sense, I'm not terribly surprised. Um, But looking at the film just on merit, and again, going back to what I was saying earlier on in this conversation, just about like a fun movie to watch. If we're going to sit down and we're going to watch a movie and we're going to enjoy ourselves watching that movie, what's more enjoyable than, you know, here, hand out this money. Don't 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 spend it everywhere, right? Well, what's more what's what's more enjoyable in those the, in those scenes in San Francisco? Um, uh, there's so many wonderful quotes in that movie. So many wonderful scenes in that movie. I, I am I, I I'm torn a little bit because on the one hand, as I said, I, I'm not at all surprised by the result. I I can kind of see this happening. On the other hand. I'm very surprised. On the other hand, I, I'm, I'm, you know, our, our, our Star Trek kind of connections, our, our Star Trek, our Star Trek lineage is, is being, um, you know, kind of left behind after this. Um, so it, it's definitely sad to see it go. Um, but on the flip side of that, just to really jump in there to, to the past conversation, I too am thrilled to see fellowship extend into this next round. Um, and I'm hoping it'll take care of operation grand slam. Jordan, you asked what's more enjoyable than George and Gracie. What's more enjoyable than looking at whales is golf. The golf scene is incredible. Uh, with the Slazinger number one and uh, Hawker the Caddy, uh, good, good old Jerry Duggan, one of the original Dorkfest questions. Um, that, that scene is, is always one that, that leaps off the screen for me. Everyone on the podcast knows how much I love golf. Um, Goldfinger absolutely deserves to be moving on. It's a serious threat moving forward. Several Easter eggs in there for our listeners. In case you were unaware of the name of the actor who played the caddy for Sean Connery's James Bond in Goldfinger, it is, in fact, Jerry Duggan. It's your honor, sir! Yeah, so that that was unearthed about a decade ago, and that's one of those little nuggets that sits in my brain while I forget my niece and nephew's birthday, but I'll remember that one. Uh, so, so that's that's good to have. And another little Easter. You mentioned the Slazinger number one. Uh, Josh got me a, a little a box of pinfold hearts one year for Christmas, and uh, 
I still, I still have some, even though I routinely hit golf balls into, you know, the woods and whatnot. But Goldfinger does advance to face Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring in the Elite Eight. We've still got two more slots in the Elite Eight to get to. They will come out of the Shifty region, where the last four films that stand are in seeding order. Top-seeded Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Second-seeded Jaws. Fourth-seeded Thunderball. Sixth-seeded Field of Dreams. I do want to back up quickly, though, because it's worth noting that a double O status pick was lost in the prior round. That is Rogue One was listed as a double O pick for one of the dads. So that is now out. So that's half of the of the double O status picks that are that are off the table as tiebreakers altogether. Okay, getting back to the shifty region. The first matchup that we have to vote on. Top-seeded Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, against fourth-seeded Thunderball. Gentlemen, cast your votes. It's a 4-0 sweep here on the podcast. You add that to the votes from the dads, and Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, does advance by a 4-2 margin. The dads were really shilling big time for those classic Connery Bonds but Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, does advance with a 4-2 to two count. So the top seeds have all moved on. We've got four number one seeds in the Elite Eight. There is still one matchup to be decided, one spot in the Elite Eight. That boils down to second-seeded Jaws against sixth-seeded Field of Dreams. Gentlemen, cast your votes. It is to 3-1 on the call. Myself... Gabe and Jordan have all voted for Jaws, leaving Josh with Field of Dreams. And to the surprise of absolutely no one, both dads voted for Field of Dreams. What's more, double O status was assigned to Field of Dreams and not to Jaws, which means that Ray Kinsella and Terrence Mann and the shards of a spit-up hot dog are advancing to the Elite Eight as sixth-seeded Field of Dreams upsets second-seeded Jaws. Josh, we turn to you first. You were the lone Field of Dreams vote on this podcast. I mean, look, you can't go wrong between these two films, but... Take us inside your head when looking at this matchup and, and, and how and why you voted the way you did. If you build it, he will come. The votes came. The double O status came. I have a feeling that was, that was our dad who, who assigned that. Field of Dreams just has so much darn heart. And I, I admit that it, a viewer may not perceive or may not embrace all that heart if they didn't play on a baseball team that was coached by their father as a kid, or if they aren't currently trying to teach their son how to play baseball. Um, but that's where I am right now. So that all that heart in Field of Dreams 
just overwhelms me. It did as a kid. It continues to now. Jaws is an unbelievable movie. We had a, what was, in essence, a Commissioner's Collection podcast for Jaws before we established the Commissioner's Collection. Everyone knows that we all love that movie, myself included. But Ray Kinsella, Terrence Mann, that relationship is, is, is incredible in that movie. And Dad, do you want to have a catch? I, th- I really think that that's all I should have said um, in, in, in defending uh, Feel the Dreams. It leaves me as a, in a puddle of emotions every time that I watch it. Uh, and that's why I voted for it. And, and I'm thrilled that it got the double O status because I don't think that I was going to be able to convince anybody to change their, to change their vote. And I was going to get worn down. Um, but it's through. Thank you. Thank you. I, I got to chime in here quickly because uh, th- I mean, this was the one matchup in the Sweet 16 that really was, was very bothersome to me. Um, we mentioned earlier, back, Josh, you asked, is Back to the Future one of my top five movies? And the answer is yes. Two of the other four are these two movies, Jaws and, and Field of Dreams. And they're literally one and two. Jaws is one and Field of Dreams is two. I mean, it's so, you know, we're, we're talking about splitting hairs here. And I give Jaws the edge in terms of like better overall movie, you know, the whole like movie production and storytelling, like all, like all of it, the whole package put together. It's awfully hard to argue with Field of Dreams. And yes, you're right, Josh. There, it helps if you have certain memories it helps if you have certain perspective um but you're right like when i saw the movie when i was nine i cried at that exact same spot and now at 39 i cry at that exact same spot so like there's something there that's like magical or mythical about that movie and about that experience and that shared experience and i think that's that's where i'm going with it like that's what's important you know, we love Jaws and it's great. And, and I voted for it because I, I love that movie. But again, when we think about watching these movies together, it doesn't always have to be spaceships and lasers and, you know, hobbits. Like they're, they're, we, we have this silly podcast and we talk about all these zany things, but there, there are some like emotions oftentimes tied into this stuff for us. And it's important to remember that. And I think Field of Dreams helps elicit some of those more poignant ones. And so I'm glad that it's going through, but I also still had to vote for Jaws because it's my favorite movie of all time. I'm just looking for somebody to beat with a crowbar until they leave. What's leaving is Bruce, the shark. He's out of here. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we might need a bigger bracket. I'd like to tell one of you that you're certifiable, but I these are eloquent arguments and it's hard to argue against the heartfelt, you know, um, I, I've got a lot of these same memories and, and yeah, when I was a kid, I, I cried at that spot. And when I re-upped on this film a little bit ago, cause I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. Uh, yeah, definitely got misty around the same. It's a movie about passions and, and dreams, um, and dreams realized and maybe dreams lost and forgotten. And, and, and these themes are what carry it through really, even if you're not, um, and the themes of family, of course, just channeled through, um, the one constant, which is baseball. Um, all that said, yeah, I think it's, um, 
I mean, part of me was surprised that Jaws, you know, fought its way this far, but at the same time, it, it chomped through on its own merits. Um, it's Jaws. Uh, it's, it's really hard to argue against. It is, I agree, I think it is the, the better made of the two films, but that is my, you know, cold film kid analysis, and it, and it doesn't really account for all the warmth of, uh, you know, Spielberg named that shark Bruce after his lawyer, so not a whole lot of warmth there for this cold-blooded crew. So I certainly, again, don't begrudge um, uh, the field of dreams getting erected in our Dorkfest firmament. Not to totally contradict what, what Gabe just said, I do think there is, and, and Gabe, I think you would ultimately agree with this, there's, there's at least a little bit of heart to Jaws as well. Certainly not the degree to which there is Field of Dreams. And I think ultimately what allows Field of Dreams to take this matchup is not only that heart, but also the, the I mean, relationships are just such a key component of that film. Um, you have the relationship between Ray Cancella and Terrence Mann, as you know, Josh mentioned earlier, but then you have the relationships of family that are present in there. And relationships are a big component of Jaws, too, right? You have sometimes the more contentious relationships, uh, but then you also have the more loving relationships, too. Um, I know that we're not in the shaming part of the podcast, but just a couple of scenes from Jaws to throw out there to just offer a little bit of shame for people that I think maybe we should be feeling that shame right now. Um, obviously the show me the way to go home scene, which comes out of the Indianapolis scene, which is great. And I understand Jaws is being shown its way home right now. Um, but then for me too, the other scene, and this is a scene that I think does have a lot of heart um, right before Hooper comes to dinner, you have that scene between Roy Scheider's character and his son and that moment you know give us a kiss because we need it and as a father now that's definitely that's definitely something that plays in through through my mind um and i think you know kind of going back to this idea of relationships you know while i voted for jaws and i would not have changed my mind on that vote i i i can rest easy knowing that field of dreams goes through because of those relationships and i think ultimately what allows us to take it is that for Field of Dreams, those relationships exude outside of the film, right? You have those relationships that then remind us of relationships that we have with other people that we love as well. And I think that's all like that's that that that's a difficult card to to beat in a matchup like this. All right. So with all mushy stuff aside, with Field of Dreams advancing to the Elite Eight, let's quickly focus in on the other half of this region. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, I mean, rather quietly gets rid of the cockroach that was Thunderball, having survived back-to-back tiebreakers. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan got the sweep from from this contingent. Um, I mean, is The Wrath of Khan destined? Well, I don't think anybody's destined past Field of Dreams at this point with with its kind of showing. But, uh, I mean, gentlemen, your thoughts on, on Star Trek II going forward very quickly? I think Star Trek II boasts a greater challenge uh, for Field of Dreams. Um, you know, Jordan found one tremendous scene in Jaws with that was very poignant, but with a ton of heart. Um, but holy cow, the, the, the last 15 minutes of Star Trek II is just, is, is heart-wrenching. Um, Plus, it's got a, a tremendous adventure. It's it's immensely quotable. We've talked about that being an influence in our decisions. Um, 
you know, we, we talked about early on that, you know, Thunderball may not do so well. And I, it overachieved from what I thought it w- would do. So I, I wasn't surprised at all uh, to see it get knocked out. Little surprised that both the dads voted for it. Um, but, you know, out it goes. I think for me, the surprise here is more just the kind of pattern of surprises of, you know, Dan, you mentioned earlier when you went over the votes of, you know, the dads really holding on to these classic Bond films. That's honestly something that I didn't see coming. And here I thought we are one big happy fleet. I do think that uh, Star Trek II may may end up having the command codes for Field of Dreams, but um, but we'll see. All right, gentlemen, let's find out if indeed Star Trek II has the command codes to Field of Dreams because it's time to start voting from eight down to four. We are into the Elite Eight. Let's pick up right where we left off in the shifty region with the Elite Eight matchup of top-seeded Star Trek II against sixth-seeded Field of Dreams. No more dad votes. There are still two double-O status flicks remaining that could alter the outcome of things but it's just us to vote live right here so top seated star trek 2 against six seated field of dreams gentlemen cast your votes and it is a clean sweep four votes to none as the wrath of khan does indeed have the command codes to Field of Dreams, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, advancing into the final four, the representative out of the shifty region. It is worth noting that that does kibosh another double O pick because both dads had selected Field of Dreams in double O status. Had there been a tiebreaker that would have propelled Field of Dreams, but instead that other double O pick goes by the board because Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, advances on its own merits. I don't know about you guys. I'm a little surprised by the overwhelming outcome there. He tasks me. He tasks me and I shall have him. And he did. Yeah, I, I mean, it was like I just uh, talked about as we were wrapping up the last segment. Star Trek Two is overflowing with with heart. Uh, the the Spock's funeral, holy moly, with the bagpipes, um, and even before that, there's an interesting, you know, subplot with Kirk in this sort of midlife crisis, reuniting with. Carol Marcus getting a little bit of backstory there. Um, this is a, a complex, you know, emotional movie for, for a sci-fi thriller. And, you know, it does the sci-fi thriller part fantastically also. Star Trek II is an unbelievable movie. Um, yeah, you just you couldn't outrun that Genesis device. Sorry, Ray. Josh, I, I agree with you. One thing that um, has always been a, a favorite of mine in that movie is the split between I feel old at the beginning and I feel young at the end. Uh, you're right. There's a lot of both these movies are really emotionally honest and they, and they wear their hearts on their sleeve, um, pinstriped in some cases and, uh, you know, admirals and others. But it, um, yeah, Star Trek II, it's a really good point, does have a lot of real humanity um, at the heart of it. And I think maybe in the end, that's what helped it 
prevail because in addition to all that great humanity that we've been extolling the virtues of over the past couple minutes, Star Trek II also has spaceships and, and phasers and, uh, and Ricardo Montalban, which is not necessarily better than James Earl Jones, but boy, is it compelling in this movie. And a, and a battle in a Mutara Nebula with a killer score. Um, yeah, no, that, Both that, game corner scores, of course. Both yes, yes. Um, uh, and, you know, Gabe, that reverse aging that you're talking about in Wrath of Khan is so interesting, too, because then it also, of course, led to kind of the rebirth of that franchise after what was a, not rather, what was a very disappointing um motion picture it reinvigorated Um, the whole shebang yeah exactly exactly so you not only have that film and how wonderful that film is but then everything else that it propelled to um after that and and you gave you quipped earlier about that you know running home to mama joke um and and i think maybe not dissimilar to what we saw the dads do with the original bond films i feel like that's part of what's happening here that you know we already talked about how star trek 6 is in the commissioner's collection and and how jaws was probably a commissioner's collection podcast before we had the commissioner's collection and of these two films they both might and probably will and almost certainly should find their way into the commissioner's collection but i'm pretty sure that uh con is the one that's going to get there first all right gentlemen so from the shifty region star trek to the wrath of con advances to the final four now to find out who kirk con and company will be facing in the final four to the fleck region we go top seated goldfinger against third seated lord of the rings fellowship of the ring gentlemen Cast your votes. We've got our first tie of Dorkfest, the podcast, Movie Madness in the Elite Eight. There are no ties in Dorkfest, but there are two cousins who have one destiny. And those are the two that voted for Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. Josh and myself both voted for Goldfinger. As we said, there are no ties in Dorkfest, so somebody's got to swap. And I, for one, on the Goldfinger side, I am not setting myself up to make this argument. I'm turning it over to the guy who's got his own collection. Commissioner, make the argument for Goldfinger. The argument for Goldfinger starts with the Aston Martin DB5. Um, This is an iconic piece of stuff like we, we, all right we like to talk about heart and emotions and characters and all that but really we just like all this cool stuff right and the db5 is the coolest stuff in any of these franchises and this is where we finally get it goldfinger it's got an incredible score dawn raid on fort next john barry really flexing through the whole thing connery looks tremendous and is just swagging beyond belief odd job with the the best henchman that the world of cinema has ever seen goldfinger was the pinnacle was the apex of james bond it deserves to move on gabe i'll throw it over to you here in a second but i i, I mean i believe 
the crux of Josh's argument is that Goldfinger has cool stuff, and because of the cool stuff, it should then move on. Am I understanding you correctly there, Pasha? In addition to all the other fantastic points yeah, that right. I made. That, that, that's really, really simplifying the argument there. I mean, no, he started no, off no by doubt, talking about that. No doubt to serve, no doubt to serve his own methods and measures here. These are these are Jordan's going to take the statistics and bend them whichever way he wants. He's got no argument at hand. Think about the car chases with that DB5. There are two brilliant ones weaving in and out of alleyways, and then on those alpine roads. Uh, you know, the DB5 is an excellent piece of, you know, movie making, you know, gibberish, but it's also just a cool thing. So it's got, I, I have both going for me, actually, Jordan. Perhaps then I should bring up the chase scene as Frodo is being, you know, rescued into Rivendell as the Nazgul are chasing after him. And that wonderful scene with the water, um, you have Arwen, you know, kind of, you know, doing her sorcery there. And you know, pretty much flushing them down a, a natural toilet. Great chase scene there. In terms of cool stuff, right? Like, I mean, cool stuff is practically that entire film. Practically all of what Fellowship of the Ring is. Um, you have the great scenes in the Mines of Moria. You have the the scene that you referenced earlier with "You Shall Not Pass," right? And the beautiful thing too about that scene is not only the cool action scene, but then also, as you referenced in a prior podcast, that emotional scene right afterwards, right after they exit the mines of Moria, and how you think that Gandalf is lost at that moment. Fellowship does all of those things that you're saying that Goldfinger does, or all those things that you're saying that Goldfinger does, but it, it, it does them better. All right, Gabe, I, I, I feel as though you have something to say. I'm just loving these hot takes by, by Jay. Even, even I'm getting burned. This is great. No, I, and I also love the Jay boys. It, it is a long documented fact that uh, my love for fellowship is, is absolute. It, it is my favorite movie of all time. And yeah, mine is going to be really tough to be swayed here. Um, I'm happy to listen to what others say before I stand on my own soapbox. If, uh, if Dan, you want to take a swing at Goldfinger, I, I certainly don't want to monopolize the conversation about either one of these. And frankly, I feel like I could about either one of these movies. This is, this isn't, there are no ties in Dorkfest, but this is a fascinating question and a difficult matchup. It is a difficult matchup, but I think for me, it simply boils down to the idea for me of Dorkfest and the idea that we started this endeavor with thinking about our love of these movies coupled with the notion of which of these films would we as a group most enjoy watching together. And it is undeniable that Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring is the most vastly superior movie of that franchise. It is a beautiful film with a tremendous score that is acted well, it looks beautiful, it is a great, fun, enjoyable movie. But all of those things can also be said of Goldfinger. And Goldfinger is a franchise that has been around with us a hell of a lot longer than Lord of the Rings has and appeals to more of our dorky sensibilities than Lord of the Rings does. It is more often quoted both for 
love and enjoyment and also for jokiness. Like we will rib on Goldfinger as much as we will praise it. And that speaks to how much we enjoy this movie. Josh made the point. It is the apex of this franchise. It is the seminal offering of a franchise that has existed for 50 years now and has churned out 25 movies. This is as good as it gets. For that reason, it's got to go. I mean, Lord of the Rings is, I mean, Fellowship of the Ring is as good as Lord of the Rings gets, but that franchise just doesn't have the staying power of James Bond. It doesn't have the long-standing, enduring love that this contingent has for James Bond movies, despite their, their foibles and their issues. Goldfinger gets it right. Goldfinger has got to go to the final four. Your legacy point here is one I'm thinking about, Dan, because I don't think you're as right as you think you are about that. We're also talking about, yeah, Goldfinger has been with us for a longer time, but since when has, you know, when you bought your ticket been part of the whole shebang? Like we have, a yeah, there's years of nostalgia built up there. I'll grant you that one. But what I've loved about seeing Fellowship's ascendance here is that oh, kind of a new movie, you know, it's one of the newer films and newer franchises. And, and while I initially sort of felt, you know, personally indulged for some time that you guys were... It's sort of in my view, you no, know, Gabe likes that movie. I like it better than this other, you know, whatever schlocky thing it's up against right now. We'll give it to Fellowship. And the more I've, the more I've actually, you know, been listening to the words of your voices over many podcasts now is um, that you guys, boy, there is a respect for this movie that goes deeper than I thought it did. And I think that speaks to the transformative power of what Peter Jackson, Fran Walsh, Philip Boyance, and that entire cast and crew um, and everybody at Weta Workshop who built an entire world. Now, it's interesting to know, too, we are also talking about two literary adaptations. We're talking about, you know, Goldfinger being adapted from Ian Fleming, and we're also talking about, yeah, this is Bond's heyday, and it's, it's Bond's heyday that also, as we talked about Star Trek II, solidifying Star Trek's return, boy, Goldfinger is what made Bond Bond. That is the cultural phenomenon of the Bond franchise. Has the Bond franchise aged as well over time? We've covered that in another podcast. As far as the legacy of Lord of the Rings, um, we had three of those movies, which the final one, I'll just quote, won 11 out of 11 Oscars, which I think is at least 10 more maybe than any Bond film has won. Uh, and it's also the only, only, I'll say this too, the third movie in history behind Ben-Hur and Titanic to sweep that many Oscars. It also, I think, might be the only one to sweep everything it was nominated for. The other two films did not. We had three Hobbit films come after that. They may not have been the same, quite the same cinematic achievements. But Josh, if you're looking for a golf uh, equal, if you're looking for golf equilibrium, we've got that bit from Gandalf in the Hobbit film that says, uh, you know, and then the game of golf was invented at the same time because there was a Hobbit that knocked the head off an orc and it rolled into a gopher hole. Boom, golf. So we're even covering that in Tolkien. That's not Fellowship, but it precedes Fellowship. And it also speaks to one of the best parts about Fellowship of the Ring, Gandalf the Grey. You tell me, Ian McKellen isn't maybe the finest part of that movie, but maybe the trilogy also. It is a magical world created nearly from whole cloth that is doing the nearly impossible task of not just adapting a beloved work from page to screen, but also enrapturing fans, even dorky ones like us, out of our usual comfort zones, dare we show a bit of growth and actually accept Fellowship of the Ring as something that, selfishly, I would love to watch this with you guys. I don't think we ever have. 
uh, Goldfinger, we've watched together a dozen times and we'll do it a dozen more and I'm going to love it every time. But fellowship being here is very exciting to me. And all we have to do is decide what to do with this matchup that is given to us. Gabe, one last point that I'll make before hopefully one of my brothers will see, see the light um, is the, the legacy point that you made. I think, you know, the, the legacy point is one that moves backwards and forwards. Um, you know, you mentioned that both of these are literary adaptations. You have Tolkien's original Fellowship of the Ring, which was published in 54, and the world creation that you were talking about. Um, you know, that's something that was done in that book and then was done in those films. But the, the world creation that was done in those books is then also something that fed into the world creation that we saw in Star Wars. And the world creation that we saw being done in the film, specifically Fellowship of the Ring that we're talking about right now, is something that you saw doubled up in, in the Marvel films, which I know you and I are both a fan of, right? So you have this, like... It, this is a film that influenced so many other of our dorky loves. And I think that that is something that, yes, you know, Goldfinger in and of itself is a really, really enjoyable film. We can all sit down and we can enjoy it. But there are so many other disparate connections that Fellowship is able to lay claim to that I think this is the time when they need to come to its defense. If you're looking for me to change my mind, bringing Marvel into the equation is not the way to go. But we're getting to the point where somebody's going to have to change their mind here. And I I'm find myself just further and further digging in on, on Goldfinger. You, you think about the, the opening sequence, uh, you know, with, with with, with Bond in, in the scuba gear, with the tuxedo underneath. I mean, these are both fantasy movies. Like, James Bond is a fantasy character in much the same way that Gandalf the Grey is. There's no person who actually exists who is James Bond and can do all the things that James Bond does. But he's just so much cooler than Gandalf. I'm sorry. He, he is. I mean, I think Gandalf the Grey has kind of a kindred spirit in Hawker the Caddy, maybe, but James Bond is just so much cooler than anybody in Fellowship of the Ring. And, you know, maybe I'm, I'm betraying the point of all the heart that I was talking about earlier, but that's not what I watch Goldfinger for. And Goldfinger is so tight in every other aspect. Um, yeah. A caddy is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. A good caddy, anyway. I may have uh, named a, a golfer after that caddy, but I, I'm not exactly looking for Jimmy Dugan to be, uh, uh, you know, oh, fool of a took, nor am I looking for Ian McKellen to, you know, well, it's your honor, sir. I'm, I'm, I think the heart is a, good, is a worthwhile point there, uh, Josh. Uh, if we're talking about heart being such an, you know, a factor, at least, in what we're talking about here, look no further than any one of the hobbits. But again, I'll go back to Samwise Damji, who, you know, I'm, Sam, I'm going to Mordor alone. Yes, of course you are. And I'm coming with you. Not like it, you know. He, you know, you want to talk a good caddy? Sam is not just a good gardener. He'd be the best caddy ever. I'm sorry to say to, to Mr. Hawker there. <laughs> and the score in that scene. How are you? I mean, we're, we're, we're talking. Every time. 
it, it absolutely does. I mean, we're talking great scores here as well. You know, it's some of the best of John Barry. It's probably the best that Howard Shore has given us, arguably. Um, again, noting moments like uh, the lament for Gandalf after Moria, like immediately after he falls, the moment in that scene there. Um, I love a lot of the danger elements. Um, I love the music as Boromir falls at Amon Hen defending the hobbits just to try and make up for that misty boy. You talk about human that, um, or, or emotion and heart. I, Sean Bean, plus John Rhys-Davies, a favorite of yours in this movie, Sean Bean is heartbreaking in that last scene, just trying to fight so hard to make up for his mistake with Frodo. And he pays for it ultimately, but, you know, not without some redemption and, and ah, goodness. You know, it's two tremendous falls in that movie, and all the rest of the characters can do is shoulder on. And that's, you know, what that movie has to do, and that's what that movie's about. It's saddling up, shouldering on. I know nobody tosses a dwarf, but one of these dwarfs has to change their mind. Yeah, and it's going to be you, Jordan, because we know Gabe is not going to change his mind, and Josh has already put his, drawn his line in the sand, and and I'm, I'm not moving from Goldfinger. Like, Gabe makes all these great points, the first half of which had nothing to do with the movie at, at question. Gabe references 11 Academy Awards for Return of the King. The, Re- Return of the King. That, that, that movie got eliminated in the first friggin' round of this tournament. Then he went and talks about the Hobbit movies, which we all of us, Gabe included, and all LOTR fanatics admit are friggin' horrible. So finally now we're talking about Sean Bean and Gandalf the Grey and some actual Fellowship of the Ring material. Meanwhile, Josh and I have only ever referenced Goldfinger and the greatness that exists in Goldfinger, whether it's villain or Goldfinger, henchman, odd job, the score. You guys want to go to town on score? Like, I'm sorry, that's an argument that Howard Shore, Fellowship of the Ring versus John Barry Goldfinger, like you really want to go there? I think not. Uh, gadgetry, Jordan tries to make the argument that gadgetry and like cool stuff is better in Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring than it is in Goldfinger. Are you friggin' kidding me? Goldfinger is the reason that gadgetry and cool stuff exists in movies because of the ejector seat and the rotating license plate and the tires that spring out with the spikes to snatch up other vehicles. Like, I don't even know. Like, it, it, it's. Like, Gabe, I would be thrilled to bits to watch Fellowship of the Ring with you. And I agree that that probably is something we have not done and is something that is long overdue. But when it comes to watching a movie among this collective, like, it's not even close. It's gold. It's, gold, it's Goldfinger by a, by a landslide. And I, and I look, like, I love Fellowship of the Ring, and I think it's, like, beyond phenomenal that it made it to the Elite Eight. But its time is done. You know, you say that with such finality, but uh, the saga of uh, fellowship is going to go on long off outside of this. And and I have just one thing to say before I'm going to help move us along, because I don't want to drag us on too long. And we could spend hours, literal hours. Everybody listening to this thinks we're joking. We could spend literal hours discussing this very subject uh, and not really have any minds turn. But I'm I will. I'm going to turn over mine. And it's for one reason. I also want to point out that Fellowship won four Oscars, which is still three more than any Bond movie may have ever won. And also, I will go toe-to-toe with you on Howard Shore versus John Barry's Goldfinger score any day of the week. And this comes from somebody who jams out to Into Miami regularly. That's a phenomenal score. Um, 
but it's also there is also I would just say in that regard more John Barry to pick from, and I'm going to value. Uh, it's going to take a lot to unseat Fellowship of the Ring, generally speaking, from me. However, um, you know I referenced that my dad was um, somewhat loath to vote for this in some of the matchups earlier on, and so sort of for his sake, I'm gonna I'm gonna bow out. Because I think I, despite what you guys may think, may be the most obstinate for fellowship here. I mentioned it is my favorite movie. I could never watch Goldfinger again if it meant I had to choose between fellowship and, and Goldfinger on the desert island. Um, it's a great movie. I love it. But if it's going to be between that and fellowship, I will happily never watch Goldfinger again. I need fellowship. And for the sake of what I know my dad wants, which is for, you know, just myself and my sisters to sit down in the basement and all watch that under cover of darkness together sans you goldfinger lovers i'm going to switch over to goldfinger just for the sake of us moving along i can't believe i'm going to be the one who's throwing gandalf off the bridge of moria here off the bridge of Khazad-dum. but uh, we all know he comes back as gandalf the white so uh, maybe in the second Dorkfest bracket whenever that shows its face will have a proper resurgence of the Lord of the Rings franchise, including the superior film Fellowship. I love how as Gabe is switching his vote for Goldfinger, he was really just listing all the reasons that Fellowship should have won. That's exactly right, Jordan. Yeah, really, really sticking it. Great job, Gabe. Hey, if, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna acquiesce for the for the greater good, you, you might as well get some parting shots in. And I, I give Gray, Gabe a, a you-know-what load of credit for, for taking w- what would have been, you know, Jaws for me or Ghostbusters for Josh and saying, you know what, nope, we're, we're moving along. So, so that, that's official, Gabe. You're, you're swapping over to Goldfinger. Uh, it's, uh, it's swapped, you know. I'm still training y'all as dorks. All right, he has, he has passed the shoe officially, which means that it that's is now – Three one Goldfinger. It 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 feels like a real crappy victory for Goldfinger yeah. to get into the final four as the true Hobbit of the group shifts his vote. But hey, we never said this was going to be easy or that it was going to be painless. And Goldfinger officially advances, which means the top two seeds on the right half of the bracket have advanced. So let's shift over now to the left side, and we've got in the Danel region, the top two seeds there, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade against second seed Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Gentlemen, cast your votes. And we have another tie, to the surprise of absolutely no one. Again. So so the tie here... Uh, also breaks down the exact same way that the last round did. Josh and myself have both voted for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Gabe and Jordan are divided on the other half. Two cousins, one destiny, once again, voting for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. I feel like here we have a far greater chance of moving someone's opinion. Um, yeah, I'm in a real mood for compromise now. Yeah, I would say Gabe is the one who's not going to shift here. And I think my shifting nature, right? uh, Appropriately so. Um, I mean, I I find myself very torn right out of the chute. So, Josh, help me out here. Why should I stay with Last Crusade? You shouldn't. 
I'm switching my vote to Star Trek Six. Um, <laughs> Gabe was so magnanimous. Um, he, he has moved me to to, to shifting this. The, the, these two movies are, I, I mean, let's be honest, they're practically identical. Right. I mean, they, they both ride off into their respective sunsets at the end. You know, it's it's the perfect conclusion for both of these franchises. Um, there's very little to distinguish them. Um, Sean Connery is is brilliant, and so is Harrison Ford. Um, you know, but Connery advances to the final four in Goldfinger, and so I will happily acquiesce, switch my vote to Star Trek VI. You can never go wrong voting for Jim Kirk. Yeah. I, I appreciate you doing that, because as I was setting you up, for for that idea, I was thinking to myself, boy, howdy, it's not going to take much to to put my foot on on the other side of the line here, and and so I think that's that, that's probably the right. I mean, Gabe has made the point for three podcasts now. The very first Commissioner's Collection that we ever did, the reason that Dorkfest exists in the first place is because of Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. For that movie not to end up in the final four would be criminal, and so it is there, and so all is right with the world. All right, so three movies are officially into the final four. We have got one spot remaining, and that will come out of the Binky region where the top two seeds there are still remaining. In number one, The Empire Strikes Back, and second seeded, The Hunt for Red October. Gentlemen, it is time to cast your votes. And it is a clean sweep for the number one overall seed. Hunt for Red October had a real nice run, but it is summarily dismissed in the Elite Eight. The Empire Strikes Back advances to the final four. So it's Empire out of the Binky region, Star Trek VI out of the Danil region, Star Trek II out of the Shifty region, and Goldfinger out of the Fleck region. For all you uh, Hunt for Red October apologists, uh, what, what made you shift over? Just just a bad matchup for Marco Ramius? Yeah, I, I mean, Alec Baldwin is, is awfully, uh, you know, cool and crafty as, as Jack Ryan, but he doesn't really have anything on Luke Skywalker. And, and Marco Ramius is, is very sage and wise, but Yoda has him beaten that department. Um, and th there's the one element that Hunt for Red October doesn't really have is a strong villain. Sure, there's, uh, you know, Tupolev, and it's rumored that I have a special place in my heart for Tupolev, but we all know that there's little room in my heart for anybody but me. And, you know, Vader is that arch villain and he wins at the end of empire strikes back so that's the massive trump card that empire plays to to beat out hunt for Red october in my opinion boy that's such a good point josh this is why he's the commissioner folks i mean it's such a simple thing i never really considered it but you're right i mean it's the la it, red october is exciting because you don't often get a cool cold war like really suspenseful submarine film it's a bunch of unique things packed together and yeah, Stellan Skarsgård doesn't quite, and the Kanavalov don't quite make for uh, for compelling villains. Most of the film, you're wondering whether or not Ramius is the villain. Um, and then for him to sort of, you know, be allied in the end, doesn't really take the wind out of the movie's sails, but it does leave a vacancy there. And 
boy, howdy, yeah, if Empire doesn't um, fill that vacuum admirably. I mean, I think that the villain of the hunt for Red October isn't so much one character as it is the distrust that is just emblematic of the Cold War. In other words, you know, if you think about the conflict of that story, it's, okay, the thing that's going to stop the plan from actually coming to fruition is people not trusting each other and that you know for a literary person such as myself might be like oh that's kind of cool it's kind of a different way of thinking about villainry but if we're talking about scum and villainy we're talking about darth vader it it just doesn't it it doesn't hold a candle to it doesn't hold a lightsaber to it Uh, you know I, i think you know dan you started by asking like bad matchup for hunt for october yes but it's the bad matchup that it saw coming all the way from the beginning of this so i think you know shout out for hunt for october or shout out to hunt for october for getting to where it was supposed to um maybe getting knocked out for was a little bit surprising but ultimately that this is where it was gonna lose this was the end of the line marco ramius thought that poliarni inlet was cold and hard Get a load of the Ice Planet Hoth, big fella. All right, so the final four is set, or is it? Empire Strikes Back out of the Binky region. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country out of the Danil region. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan out of the Shifty region. And we debated, and we disputed, and we argued. Goldfinger or Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. And Gabe, being the ultimate altruistic fella that he is, conceded to give his vote to Goldfinger. Except that there was one double O status vote still remaining for Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring, which trumps the shiftiness of the moving of the vote and negates Goldfinger's status in the final four and thus propelling Frodo Baggins, I got it right this time, and Samwise and Gandalf the Grey and the whole kitten caboodle into the final four. So now, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring representing the Fleck region and into the final four. Gabe, we had all that arguing. Well, it was spirited. It was it was all in all in good jest. You you altered your vote, and it seems like karma is on your side, my friend. So be it. It shall be the fellowship of the ring. Great. What is that matchup? I, that's unbelievable, and I I can't believe that I both sacrificed fellowship only to have it returned to me uh, by my father. I, I, I can't even begin to read into the, boy, you talked about father stuff in Field of Dreams. I can't even begin to start charting uh, the, I mean, the odds here are just astronomical. Spock, what are the odds of? Boy, I've never computed them, Captain. Well, they're astronomical, believe me. Um, boy, I, I have few words. If by my life or death I can protect you, I will, and you have my sword, and you have my bow and my axe. This carries the fate of us all, dorks. If this is the will of the council, then Gondor will see it done. It left you like Gandalf the Grey and has returned to you. At the turn of the tide. All right, did we get enough 
Lord of the Rings references in there? Are we, are yeah, no, I good? think I've done, I've, that's we, probably the fill for several. Can we, can we move on now? No, I appreciate that. Please move on. It's great. Okay. Please. <laughs> so, <laughs> Some of us are gutted over here. So now, <laughs> so the DB5 has blew a fuse and is out of here. So now our Where's your butler friend? <laughs> So now our final four, we'll see Empire face off against Star Trek VI and Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring face off against Star Trek II. Let's let Fellowship marinate in the final four for, for just a moment. And let's go to the other semifinal showdown. Top-seeded, The Empire Strikes Back against second-seeded Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Gentlemen, cast your votes. And here we are once again. You pathetic divided. little hosers. This, this is this is hard just, to And it's you know what you really remarkable. you guys really should respect your elders here. These younger that's, that's the moral of the story siblings here. and cousins just this little pest that I can't get rid of. So well, Josh no, and, taste. So Josh and I are once again together. We're together on the Empire Strikes Back, and Jordan and Gabe are Two cousins, one destiny for like the 17th time on this podcast. They're together, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. This, this, Gabe, I understand you picking this. Jordan, you're the one that, to me, this is inexcusable. You're a Star Wars guy before you're a Star Trek guy. You, at the outset of this whole endeavor, picked The Empire Strikes Back to go all the way. And here we are on the cusp on the cusp of victory and you being right and me remembering that and very likely as the moderator giving you your just desserts when the time comes if it comes to pass and yet at the 11th hour you lose your backbone and for some reason don't stand by your conviction i just i i don't even know what to make of this Ultimately, though, I am standing by my conviction because my conviction at the end of the last podcast was to switch franchises from one space one to another one, going from Star Wars to Star Trek. And without Star Trek four, which unfortunately we can't have, we wouldn't have Star Trek six. Um, now, I could extol the virtues of it. Uh, however, for anyone that would like to hear those virtues, I would recommend that you listen to our Commissioner's uh, Collection podcast if you haven't done so already. Uh, in the meantime, Gabe, would you like to assist me in uh, conducting surgery on this argument? Sounds fascinating. You know, it's interesting that you quote your elders there, Dan, because I got to say, as I've been encroaching upon my own elderdom, uh, youngest though I may be here, I got to say, it's not that I'm moving away from Empire, far from it. I, I watch it as much as I ever have. But do I find myself more and more ever gravitating toward really all the stuff at the heart of Star Trek VI, trying to acknowledge and uh, understand and, and look at some of the stuff ahead of time, to paraphrase and borrow from another movie, before we really do grow old. You know, here we have this perfect blueprint of watching characters that we would have watched compressed you know, for all of our lifetimes, over 30 years of their work, and it culminates in this movie. Uh, yeah, again, the one that we can, at, it, let me tell you, it was great listening to you guys make all my arguments back for me when you were talking about Star Trek VI. Uh, I think they still all hold. This movie has always been special. I don't know if we've said it aloud, but I'm going to say it now. 
one of the first things I ever saw from this movie was not actually anything to do with this movie. You guys on the computer had some Star Trek encyclopedia or Starfleet Academy game, and it included just the briefest clip from this film. And that bird of prey, and it's like, a, it should be like a spoiler. It's the bird of prey getting blown up at the end. It's that, and that looked so cool. And like, I hadn't seen that movie yet. And I knew upon seeing it, boy, I had to see that movie. And I saw that movie and it didn't disappoint when I was seven, eight, nine years old. And it didn't disappoint when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And it didn't disappoint when I was 16, 17, 25, 30, nearly 32 years old now. That movie has more to give you every time you look at it. Um, not only does it even sort of fill the gap of our Red October Cold War thing, as discussed, as Jordan mentions in our podcast, um, but it, I think it gives us some of the best of our, you know, sci-fi, pew-pew, battle fun stuff, shoot 'em up um, I think it gives us some of the best characters Star Trek has ever gotten. I think it gives us some of the best performances Star Trek has ever gotten. Certainly every one of the original cast uh, is in top form by that show. Uh, by that movie. And this is a really tough, it's Empire Strikes Back. I don't mean to not acknowledge the gravity of the situation. Uh, on the contrary, gravity is foremost on my mind. But I'm going to see if I can't strap the boots on and stay grounded a little bit here because I just think at the end of the day, we're talking a lot about heart, heart we're talking a lot about heart and humanity here in this podcast today. And I guess all I want to end with is it's tougher to find, I think, a movie with more heart than Star Trek VI. That, Josh, you said it, that, uh, that ride off into the sunset, second star to the right and straight on until morning. Um, and Empire's great specifically because of its darkness. And that even, you know, it too sort of has that, uh, that nebula promise of a new tomorrow at the end. The heroes grow, they learn. The cool thing about Star Trek VI is we get that rare thing where the heroes have survived all of these ridiculous trials and tribulations, if you will, and yet here they are realizing they've got just a little more in them and we may not get to see their final adventures, but we know they're there. I guess we do get to see them in generations, but ignore that movie in favor of Star Trek six, if you please. Steve, I just have two words for you. Han Solo. If there's anyone in the entire cinematic universe the Dorkfest expanded universe as we've been calling it who can stand up to jim kirk it's han solo and he is an absolute boss through this entire movie up until the point where he makes the sacrifice chewy don't fight for me right now there'll be another time you have to take care of the princess and he goes into the carbonite not knowing if he'll ever emerge the stakes in that movie are are enormous and i'm i'm sorry yoda is the second time i've brought up yoda and his wisdom yoda is such a great character and watching luke get beaten down by yoda and when he's teaching him about the force again is is a is such a humbling experience for luke who is the hero who can nearly do no wrong in New Hope. Every one of these characters gets humbled, they get beaten down, but as you said, there is that hope at the end of Empire Strikes Back, even though the Empire has seemingly won that movie. The rebellion survives and they know that they will fight another day. What a, what a daring choice to make a movie where your heroes are just trying to 
live to fight another day throughout the whole thing. And that's the big victory at the end, is that they're not all dead. John Williams' score is unbelievable. Um, I will quote you from the Commissioner's Collection podcast, Cliff Eidelman is not John Williams. Um, if there's a tiebreaker, I think we can settle on that. Maybe, maybe you know, John Williams is is the tiebreaker. Star Trek VI is great, but Empire Strikes Back is a daring, dynamic, delightful cinematic achievement. You know, you you may have me on the uh, the John Williams argument the score alone. Cliff Eidelman turns in a tremendous perfor- uh, performance for Star Trek VI there. We've, again, talked at length about how much we enjoyed it. But yeah, John Williams in Empire, he is not. That's, that's not a hard point to concede. Um, I guess all I'd say, because you're right, that the stakes are huge in this movie and Empire deserves a huge amount of credit for almost solidifying the notion that the middle chapter is the dark one when the when the stuff really hits the fan uh, and when you start really having to clear the Minox off your windshield, I guess all I have to say really in response is that in Star Trek six, all those characters are remembering moments like that. And through them, I think we sort of get to reflect on our own lives backwards and forwards. These are very, they're very human characters by the end of Star Trek six. The Han Solo Kirk comparison is spot on, but this is not, you know, this is more, a comparison of Han Solo and Force Awakens, you know, to Han Solo and Empire. That's sort of what we're dealing with there. We're talking about characters who are at the end of their lives or nearing it, at the end of perhaps having, you know, (laughs) having outlived their usefulness in some cases. Maybe that would constitute a joke. I don't know. I I can't make that that call. But um, I think it is just remarkable that we get to have a swan song film about characters a couple in particular um, that have had extraordinary lives and now actually sort of see a way out of that. Um, that is on their own terms. And I guess too, it's maybe a tougher job to stick the landing in the final film than to capitalize on the huge and surprise popularity of your predecessor. Uh, and although granted uh, improving upon it at the same time exponentially. Well, okay. So, I conceded on Last Crusade, and Gabe conceded on Fellowship, even though that got reversed. Yeah, I was going to say so it's got to be Dan or Jordan. One of you has to. Has I, you know, I'm I'm on the I'm maybe close to the fence, but I also you know voted for Star Trek Six to go all the way, so I'm kind of loath to give that up. I mean, Gabe, you said you may be kind of on the fence. Um, I'm I've moved to the other side of the fence. Um, I mean, ultimately, I, I think. You know, in terms of, uh, and based off Dan's facial expression, we might have another tie where <laughs> two people <laughs> jump to the other fence and jump to the other sides. But I, we, it, if we didn't hear it, it didn't happen. You know, I mean, this is just such a difficult decision, right? Because I think, you know, ultimately what we're thinking about here is if the four of us are sitting down, we've said this a million times on this podcast, if the four of us are sitting down, we're watching a film, which of these two would we watch? And ultimately, we would pick one of them, but I think we would deliberate for an hour to maybe three hours over which one we should watch. So perhaps it's appropriate that we're deliberating right now. Um, I mean, based off of the, and, you know, who are we kidding? Of course, expert analysis, uh, of, of course, expert analysis from the commissioner, from the Dorkfest all-time champion himself, 
Fleck Gondorf. It, it does become clear to me that, that this is ultimately the film that should take this round. Um, you know, Gabe, you made the point that like, maybe it's more difficult to stick the landing. I, I, I think I actually disagree with that. Um, and you connected that too to the idea of seeing these characters reflect on these difficult moments as opposed to experiencing the difficult moments. And I think experiencing the difficult moments is eminently more relatable and eminently more um, intriguing to kind of see these characters go through. Um, and if for a moment, you know, we can kind of imagine or remember what it was to watch that movie the first time, um, you know, what an experience to, to see Han frozen in carbonite and to experience the tension of that. And then also like how he sticks to character with the, I know line, right? There's just something so Han Solo about that line. And in terms of like, you know, you know, there, there is a, there, there's a, I think a parallel universe where maybe Han Solo and Captain Kirk are, are similar characters. Um, you know, but that, 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 that that's just such a it's such a uh, an iconic line um i mean ultimately i think you know it i don't like switching sides i would love to watch both films but there are no ties in dorkfest the podcast there are no no ties in dorkfest the trivia there are no ties in dorkfest movie madness so i will relinquish my vote for star trek 6 and transfer it back over to my original selection Empire Strikes Back. There he is. Just whichever way the wind is blowing, that's that's the which way the binky moves. That a boy. Darn right. Okay, so so the Empire Strikes Back makes it to the championship round. Um, I mean that 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 was my vote, and I I will admit that I was starting to feel on some shaky ground based on some of the arguments that that Gabe really, I thought, just expertly enunciated. Um, you know, the idea of, of the swan song and, and being able to stick that landing. I think that's a really good point. That's really hard to do. After five movies of varying quality to say, we're going to bring these old timers back for a sixth turn and to have it be a, a genuine home run, I think it's brutally difficult. And, and the optimism of that movie as compared to the darkness of Empire, I think that is also a pretty gosh darn salient point. But ultimately, The Empire Strikes Back is the film that advances to the championship. We need the other half of the championship. It boils down to the number one seed out of the shifty region, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and the number three seed out of the Fleck region, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Gentlemen, cast your votes. Oh, my God in heaven. Oh, we get a late. It looked like there was a tie. But we've got a drama nut in our midst, and it was Binky with a very slow raise of the hand to cast a vote for Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. It goes 3v1, moving Khan into the championship. Gabe, the only vote for fellowship. Jordy, you were awfully... That was an awfully dainty, hesitant vote. What's uh, what's the thought process there? I mean, similar to what I was just saying, it was hesitant because I didn't feel good about it. It it wasn't hesitant out of drama. It was hesitant out of call it shame, call it hesitation, call it any number of mixed emotions. Um, 
I love fellowship. Um, you know, it, it was Gabe, the, the, the true, the true Lord of the Rings fanatic who changed his vote. And, and, and he did that to, you know, kind of be better than all of us in that moment. Um, and it didn't really work out though, did it? <laughs> well, it, it did, it did, it did. And then it got into this round. Um, didn't get it beyond that. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, we're talking about either what is the single best Star Trek film or the second best. And if it's a second best, it's a 1A, 1B situation. Um, and, you know, Gabe, you were talking about how you know, Fellowship is and Lord of the Rings, the franchise as a whole, is a, is a bit of a newer selection into our Dorkfest expanded universe. Um, and, and it's certainly one that I'm a huge advocate for. It's one that I've really, really become um, a fanatic for, too. You know, we, we talked about The Hobbit earlier, too. And, and, and if those films had been better, that, you know, might have maybe changed my opinion here. Because, you know, having read The Hobbit, like, I mean... Lord of the Ring, the the trilogy of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit are, while they are very connected stories, they are also totally different types of stories. The Hobbit is very much a children's story, while it's a, a huge children's story. It is very much told in kind of a children's story setup, um, and it occurs to me too that you know that maybe the disappointment of the Hobbit films after that plays into it here. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it brings it back to one of our core franchises, maybe not one of our core, fran for core franchises, maybe the core franchise, the one that fed into Star Wars going from the original story, original series of Star Trek into Star Wars. Um, I, I just, it, I don't feel good about the selection, but at the same time, I, I feel it is where my heart tells me to go. Jordy, you don't have to feel bad about a thing. This is where the fellowship has to split. We have to make time for the, for the two towers coming up here. So uh, this was the time that it had to go. And, and uh, it, the fellowship has not failed. Not if we stay true to each other. And I think we have. Uh, you don't have to defend a, a thing. Fellowship made it farther than I would have dared hope. It's been... Uh, an honor, privilege, and an absolute joy to watch it rise and defend it to this point as best I could. But um, I also can't tell you how just dorkily ecstatic I am that we are left with maybe the two primary sequels in our collective dorkdom in The Empire Strikes Back versus Star Trek II in our endgame here. This is such a phenomenal matchup, and I kind of don't know how I didn't see this coming. This makes so much sense to me. And so here we are with two movies left to decide the one film to rule them all. And, and Gabe's point is a good one. How did we not see this coming? Top seed out of the Binky region, The Empire Strikes Back against the number one seed out of the Shifty region, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Let, let's just go around. Just, just cast your vote verbally. Let's, let's hear everybody. We don't need a, you know, a big, this is why I'm doing this, that, or the other. Let's just go around the room and and get the votes and and see what ends up being the champion here these are two phenomenal films you can't go wrong either way i'm gonna lead off and cast a vote for the empire strikes back as my one film to rule them all josh what say you you couldn't give me an extra minute to think about it 
Sorry, I I I I am actually ready. Uh, Star Trek Two. Star Trek Two. Star Trek Two. Okay, so it's it's one one. Gabe, you you look like somebody who's got something to say. Too many things, but to be brief, <laughs> and I have been all episode long. I think Josh is right. Star Trek Two. Two votes for Star Trek Two. My lone vote for The Empire Strikes Back. Jordan, you just changed your vote from a Star Trek film to The Empire Strikes Back to move that into the title game. Do you stick with Empire to force another tiebreaker? Or do you say, nah, the heck with this. It's Wrath of Khan all the way, baby. I actually have to go back to the most recent vote that we had right before this and extolling the virtues of Wrath of Khan and talking about the the evolution of some of our different franchises. Um, gosh, this is hard. Star Trek 2. There it is. Boy, we don't even need a tiebreaker in the finale. The second Trek film offering ousts the second Star Wars film offering Empire getting the one lone vote for me while Josh, Jordan, and Gabe all vote Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan as the one film to rule them all. I, I, I can't say that I'm surprised. I mean, it's a number one seed. So like anytime a number one seed wins, it's not really all that surprising, but it lost to the number one overall seed and came out of a bracket that posed a whole slew of challenges, uh, most notably Field of Dreams, which picked up a whole boatload of steam as the tournament went along. But ultimately, it's it's Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and I guess maybe I, I shouldn't be surprised as I am right now. It's a far, far better thing than we have ever done before. Far better resting place that Empire Strikes Back goes to. You know, Dan, it's not really gone as long as we remember it. Not only that, but Leia knows how to work the carbonate defreezing device. So I'm pretty certain we can get Empire back, uh, you know, pretty, pretty quickly, you know, in the opening minutes of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Han Solo the White is 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 going to come back for you. <laughs> so, so you're saying that Empire can still be a number one seed in, in next year's field? I think it would be. Jo- I was thinking about what Josh said in his defense of Empire over Star Trek VI, that because that is a, a a scene chock full of emotion. Is is Han freezing in carbonite? You know, this isn't 1980. Is not the days of the internet we have now, and we've got a million rumors and photographers on set and stuff like that who can leak images to the internet immediately or script things where we kind of know or have an idea of what's coming on. When Han Solo goes into Carbonite in Empire, and there's probably an interview out there where it said that, yeah, Harrison Ford wants Han Solo to die because he's always wanted to kill off Han Solo pretty much. Like, that might be it. Han Solo's last act could be. So I was thinking about this. And I guess all I mean to say is that I was thinking about all of that and in the end, it comes down for me to Leonard Nimoy as Spock. And I wonder if that wasn't the vote here um, in the end. As much as we love Harrison Ford and all the various media, in all, all his various movies, and especially his um, 
especially as Han Solo, especially as Indiana Jones, part of though he is here. I wonder if this isn't if this doesn't come down to just how darn good Leonard Nimoy is as Spock. You know, um, crafting this character, you know, with some inspiration from Gene Roddenberry, but basically all on his own for 25 years to that point, maybe, I guess, what, 66 to 82, a little less. Um, and again, similarly, like Harrison Ford, wanting out for the character. Maybe had been too identified, maybe just, you know, was, was ready to be done. Um, but the way that Spock goes ties in so much to the themes of the movie, and it, and it continues to resonate throughout the franchise, and it's given such reverence and weight. Um, and if we were to bring this up, you know, again, solely on the, on the score purposes, as good as that James Horth as good as that James Horner score is, uh, it probably still doesn't beat out John Williams. But boy, and maybe the moments, uh, as you say, Josh, with the bagpipes and amazing grace and laying Spock to rest, maybe it gets close. In the end, I wonder if this isn't a Leonard Nimoy game. The votes of the many outweigh the votes of the few or the one. I mean, I was talking about Yoda's wisdom. I mean, who who is wiser than Mr. Spock? So there it is. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, your one film to rule them all. The ultimate winner of this trilogy of podcasts is Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Khan, Carol Marcus, James Horner, The Reliant, and everybody making up Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Empire Strikes Back, good showing, but just not enough in the end. Gentlemen, we're not going to award any one individual winner. You're all winners because this has been quite the undertaking. I want to thank you all for participating and to all of our listeners. Thank you so much for being a part of this truly fun and memorable experience. And who knows, maybe there'll be a 2022 edition of Dorkfest, the podcast movie madness. Until then, though, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review wherever you enjoy your podcast, Apple. Google, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure to follow and connect with us on Instagram at dorkfest underscore podcast. Until next time, folks, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay dorky.